0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film adaptation of the musical Les Miserables. You don't have to have seen the film or the stage musical to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed without having seen it, just be aware that the plot of the film is and or the musical, or even the original book upon which it's based, is likely to be spoiled for you. So if you do proceed, just be aware there are light plot spoilers for Les Miserables. Enjoy. Do you hear the people sing? Singing a song of podcast men. It is the music of a podcast starring two fantastic men. That's all I
2: got.
0: <laughs> Hello, Paddy. Did you enjoy the film?
1: <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, so, yeah, are we, we going to jump straight in with the film chat then? Like we, um, like we, we did last time. Mixing it up oh, again. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, there are some very important non non film related things that we do need to chat about at some point. But, okay. Well, um, yeah. I'm.
1: So you could you could start with that if it's if it's important. We've we've it, done it, the it is... um the bellowing. So that's.
0: <laughs> it is not as important as finding out what you thought of Russell Crowe. So I'm I'm super keen to get get on board and 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 get cracking with Les Mis if you're happy with that.
2: Yeah,
1: sure. I mean, yeah, okay. I um I actually really enjoyed it. I think there were it wasn't perfect, and I don't know that I would watch it again anytime soon. But maybe sometime in the future. But overall, um, yeah, I thought I thought it was it was decent enough having seen the stage show, um it's obviously it's a difficult thing to adapt for the screen. And I think that did show in parts, but overall I think it did an okay job, although there were moments of hilarity, most of which revolved around Russell Crowe and his face (laughs) and his bellowing and his hat that, what did I write down in the, (laughs) his hat in the opening scene when he's in that kind of blue velveteen gets up not just that hat, but all of his hats. It, um, it looks like he found it in a GCSE drama classroom cupboard.
2: Yeah,
0: he had a very he had a he had a look that I think would have looked amazing on stage in a theatrical adaptation, but um, not so great under the scrutiny of HD cameras.
1: Yes, I think I would agree with that.
0: He, uh, yeah. Um, well, I'm pleased. I'm pleased to hear that you you enjoyed this movie. Um, I, th- I think it's a fascinating look at how to do an adaptation of a stage show successfully. Yeah. Um. In spite of in spite of its flaws, and it does have flaws. Um. But I think yeah, it, it's it's an it's a very interesting take on it. I've never seen um, Les Mis on stage. Um, I'm I'm ashamed to say. Um. But yeah, I I do enjoy this film quite a lot. I think there's there's something about it which is quite interesting.
1: It feels like um, the stage show has um, been running in London for centuries. Like certainly like as long as I can remember it's it's been there. I went to see it with my grandparents. I think I, I was in my teens maybe, so my memory of it um I didn't have that many strong memories of it really, which is interesting as well because the um the music usually with most of the musicals that I've been to see, I there are a lot of songs that I can remember, but the only song I could really remember was, Do you hear the people sing' and that was the one that I remember that melody kind of really stayed with me and the idea of um the the protest song aesthetic of it is something that I really like, and it's sort of I've been sort of singing it to my to myself or in my head thinking about you know politics and revolution and that kind of thing. recently, I think it's quite a good protest anthem, but the rest of the songs are all a bit too sort of overly theatrical at the expense of melody. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think as well it doesn't necessarily help with in terms of the performances they've got because um, obviously with the stage show you've got professionally trained singers um, taking on these roles. and um, for the for the movie adaptation they got in some very very big name um, actors um oscar winners oscar nominees stuff like that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: um and and overall i'd say that it works well in its favor so even though there's flaws here um it kind of it kind of has this charm to it and i think um what's what's great about it is and i mentioned it when we were doing our la la land um review discussion um where in that there's lots of like pre-recorded and miming along whereas here everything is raw and everyone's take is just like that's a single take where they sang it live and then they is it it really yeah yeah um they as far as i understand it um they they basically recorded them singing it interesting um which might explain why it's kind of feels a bit broken in places um but i think that works in its favor and it gives it that that um much more realistic feel, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. Um, it, it definitely did feel very, very real, especially the the kind of big emotional numbers. Russell Crowe's ones, especially perhaps being a little bit too real. <laughs> you could see the um, yeah. the anguish on his face as he was trying to get across. So, especially for some reason, the um, his his very last song. Spoiler alert! Before he kills himself by jumping in the Seine, uh, for some reason, I found that song really, really funny, even though it's supposed to be obviously his like. <laughs> really emotional moment it was just something about his his sort of pained face he sort of looks like a like a beaver doesn't he he did and it was was something about that and then the way he he sort of didn't really jump in the river but just sort of flopped in um something about that really laugh even though i knew it was very inappropriate
0: i mean it's very sad to see someone go so insane in the membrane such as that um i'm sorry i had to make that (laughs) joke (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um that that was actually filmed in bath um so whenever katie and i are in bath we're always like oh look that's where that's where russell crowe jumped off and i was thinking it bath.
1: looked like bath while i was watching yeah. it i know the bit yeah. that um i know the bit that you mean interesting um
0: yeah <laughs> yeah um so uh, yeah I, I i just wanted to confirm it um that and pretty much every single song was recorded live on set so-called to capture the spontaneity of the performances um so the only one that wasn't was the initial look down in the dockyard but that's because of all of the ambient water noises and stuff like that that they couldn't possibly get it all filmed yeah um live but apart from that it sounds as though every single other other song was filmed live and i think that's a real testament to even russell crowe i mean russell crowe um, as you might have guessed by now if you've listened if you're listening to this episode and you've not seen the movie Russell Crowe is not the best thing about this film. No. Yet also is the best thing about this film. <laughs> um so
1: he's the best and worst thing about this film. Yeah,
0: he's he's not he's not great at the whole singing. Um and like he's kind of onto a thankless c- task. He plays Javert, the the dogged uh policeman who's who's hunting after prisoner two four six oh one jean valjean um, the antagonist and, the, and his escape his his escape kind of haunts him throughout the film and like most of javert's singing is quite sort of like monotonous um he doesn't have the sort of like highs and lows of the other characters and so he just kind of comes in and sort of sings my name is russell crowe i supposedly <laughs> sing in a band when i'm not doing movies. Does but you actually? couldn't really tell. Yes, he does. Russell Crowe sings in a band.
1: What What uh, are they called? What do they do?
0: Uh Russell and the Crows, <laughs> I think they're called.
1: <laughs> the Rusty Crows.
0: <laughs> the, the Rusty Crows. Um Yeah, I'm just going to search uh 30 Odd Foot of Grunts. That's right. the name of his band, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um Which sounds like a yeah, sounds like a prog metal band. Like, um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard or someone like that.
0: <laughs> you could see them supporting King Crimson. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, 30-odd foot of grunts. I don't know if they've got... Ah, uh, they do not have a... They don't have their own Wikipedia page, so I can't really find much about That's them.
1: That's kind of telling, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah.
0: So they were they were active from, like, the 90s through to 2005. Wow. Um... They, they released an EP called The Photograph Kills in 1995, as well as three full-length records, Gaslight in 1998, Bastard Life, or Clarity, in 2001, and Other Ways of Speaking in 2003. Um, they performed shows in London, LA, um, and in Texas in, uh, in 2000, and released a live
1: DVD in 2001. Are they Australian? Um, yeah, I guess they must have been. Because he's a he's an Australian man, isn't he?
0: He, he is, or is he? In, yeah, he's a he's a he's a, he was born in New Zealand, wasn't he? Initially, all oh, right. Okay. But I think he he lives in Australia land.
1: I wonder if they've ever played at Big Day Out.
0: <laughs> they definitely should have.
1: That's the only Australian festival that I can think of.
0: <laughs> I love Tasmania Festival.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah, um, Silverchair seemed to be playing on it at it all the time. I uh, oh, I was big yes. into Silverchair, looking at all their tour dates. Could always oh, be playing a big day out.
0: See, they they could have they could have fit Silverchair into this into this movie somewhere, surely.
1: Yeah, definitely. Daniel Johns from Silverchair is is quite a sexy man. Like he could have been he could have been one of the one of the sort of sexy young revolutionaries instead of. The the young the young revolutionary bloke who's not Eddie Redmayne, whose name I don't know. That should have been Daniel yeah. Johns from Off of Silverchair. Yeah, they
0: they look kind of similar. They could probably get away with it. But the one yeah. thing I remember about Silverchair guys that he had phenomenal cheekbones. Yeah. Um Yeah. Silverchair are a great band. I don't know they they um wasn't there something to do with his health that stopped them
1: from he had um arthritis main. he had arthritis yeah which obviously is not something that afflicts young sexy men quite a lot so it's very unfortunate mm. i don't yeah, even they, know they if they he's were. made a recovery
0: they're an amazing band
1: yeah um. so yeah should have been should have been in Lame but wasn't but instead you got you got red Maine i've got a bit of a soft spot for eddie red i know that he's kind of he's an old etonian and he's very, he's very privileged and you can never escape the feeling that he didn't quite get there on Merit, but a lot of his performances are very, very good. And I, I still haven't seen Jupiter ascending, but even that one, <laughs> that, that one <laughs> gif of him as a, um, as the villain just got making the face is, is enough to let me know that he's a guy who I think can both act well and laugh at himself. So
0: I, I, I like him in everything I've seen him in. Um, I, I So uh, he's been in a lot of good movies. Um, he is apparently the worst thing about Jupiter Ascending. And bear in mind, this is a movie where Channing Tatum has dog ears. <laughs> um, his character name is Balaam Abrasax in that film, which I think is great. It, sa- it does sound like something out of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, doesn't it?
1: That sounds like the kind of name um, I would have put in like a fantasy novel that I was writing when I was eight.
0: It's Balaam Abraxas, the, the dark wizard.
1: And did you see Fantastic Beasts? I did see Fantastic Beasts, yeah. He was very I, good I, in that. I think. Yeah, his, I liked that. His he's performance irritated some people because it was very mannered. But I, I really liked it. I thought he was great.
0: Um, He's in this really good film called Black Death, which is all about the Black Death. Um, I haven't seen that. And it's about this monk who goes along with a bunch of knights because they they uh, think that there's this witch that's causing the plague um, and they, they go on a little jolly and it's really grim and horrible um, and it's got Sean Bean in it and uh, some other people and it's really really good, it's a great movie um, really underrated
1: love a bit of um, Sean Bean
0: Yeah, and he's and he's great in that and Sean Bean's great in it as well obviously because he's Sean Bean and he's great in everything
1: Sean Bean, just for GoldenEye gets a path to do whatever the hell he wants for the rest of his life
0: yeah, he's he's wonderful. You you don't watch Game of Thrones? No, do you?
1: no. I I will probably get round to it, maybe in ten to fifteen years, but
0: because because cause <laughs> just so much of it. On the first... Although in current yeah. TV
1: news, I did finally watch the first episode of the latest series of BoJack Horseman, and it was very uh, very good. Yes,
0: yeah. I we we blitzed that in about three days. Um, it is an excellent show.
1: Really, it felt really depressed afterwards. Yeah, I think, I think it hits you in the feels this one.
0: Yeah, every single every, I always find that Bojack Horseman is just like a gut punch. Like by the end of each season you're like, "Oh god." Um and and, and it's come up with some, like this analogy which I think is is incredibly true is that there's only two kinds of people in life. There's people who are Bojack Horseman and there's people that are Milhouse Van Houten. <laughs> and you 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 will fall into one of those two car- uh categories in life you're either you're either one of those two people
1: yeah it's very true i wonder which one i am probably millhouse
0: i think you're more of a millhouse yeah
1: yeah because everything's um, coming up millhouse
0: everything is coming up millhouse uh good good because millhouse is a generally good-natured person yeah like He's I very think loyal sli- to
1: Bart and he really cares About their yeah, friendship yeah. And that comes across really really well Over the course of the many se- series of The Simpsons He's got a good heart
0: He does yeah Whereas I think I'm more of a Bojack In terms of like horrendous self-destructive tendencies Like I, if I had money I'd probably go out and buy a boat Even though I live in a landlocked area That kind of thing
1: And you've got a long face
0: And I have a long face um, So <laughs> yeah and, and I'm secretly an anthropomorphic horse. Yeah. Don't tell or
1: anyone. could you say that there are two types of people? There's Jean Valjean's and there's Javert's.
0: That's true. Yeah, that could be another one. Um, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: Jean Valjean obviously is a man who takes pity on people and is kind to people, but his initial impetus to do that was when the um, the bishop. He steals from the bishop's house and runs away and then gets caught by the law and the bishop um, pretends... The bishop goes along with the lie that he gave him all the stuff and is like, "Okay, you have to be a good man now. So then he's a good man um, throughout his life, whereas Javert is kind of the zealot, isn't he? Zealously pursuing him in the name of the law and of God, but eventually realises that he can't live with himself because he, he knows deep down that what he's been doing, even though he thinks he's been doing... Um, the lord's work in committing acts of kindness he realizes that's actually incompatible with his religious beliefs because he's been exacting cruelty um and then he kills himself so that's that is obviously a very very powerful message and i was struck by that even even through russell crowe's hilarious performance um that that message did shine through to me and that part of it obviously goes all the way back to the original victor hugo novel upon which the the stage musical is based um so those parts of it, I think, in the film, there are there are philosophical and threads like that that you only really get with epic novels um, that did translate and did manage to work their way in, and I think the film pulled that part of it off. Certainly, would you say so?
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I do think that like Russell Crowe gets a very bad rep in this movie based on his singing performance, but he's an integral part of making that friction between javert and jean valjean work um and you do get a sense of this animosity both in terms of like a personal animosity and a ideological clash between the two very well um and although like um hugh jackman does get plaudits and deserved plaudits for his great performance in this film Mm-hmm. Um it's not just a one-way street. I think they both really pull their weight in that regard and they make that side of the film work very well. And I think that's possibly the most effective part of this movie um is that tension between the two because at the very least um Russell Crowe singing is so hilarious that you're always drawn into those scenes. So if you're drifting during the other parts of the movie as soon as the Crowster comes on you're just like yes get some Russell Crowe back on the go.
1: Yeah, you know you're in for a treat. You know he, he's going to come with a sword and they're going to have a duel or there's going to be some kind of some kind of upset or intrigue. Yeah, he he always appears at the right time, which is good because at 2 hours and 37 minutes it is a fucking long film. <laughs> it's <laughs> it is, an hour it longer than the room.
2: <laughs> it
0: is. Um it's yeah, it is. It is a long movie, and sometimes it does feel like a long movie, um, where you are just kind of just like, no, no, I just want to, I just want to go get a get a hot drink now.
2: And <laughs> yeah, that.
1: I must admit, I, I paused it a number of times to go to go off and get a drink or whatever. I watched it sort of in stages, but a bit like you might watch, you know, a play that's in acts and such. So they yeah, perhaps exactly. they could have done that.
0: Yeah, they, they should have put little bits in the movie where you went and bought some very expensive ice cream that you ate with a little plastic spoon.
1: Yeah. Sold by someone with the tray strapped to them as if it's part of their anatomy. Yes. This yeah. is your identity <laughs> now. You're an ice cream boy. You're
0: the ice cream boy. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, I, 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 but I think, yeah, Russell Crowe spends enough time in this movie just being there to keep you engaged when you are drifting so like there's some moments where you're just like oh i don't care like like when when young kazette is singing that little sad song because she's a sad orphan and just like yeah i, I get it it's it, it's old paris there was some sad people around it's kind of kind of goes with the territory
2: yeah
1: um the thing i would say is obviously that with a stage musical the length is appropriate you're you've you've paid to be entertained You paid good money to be entertained, so it has to go on for three hours. Whereas the film, that's not necessarily true, but the length did feel appropriate for the adaptation, and I think if they hadn't kept it, if they had made more of an effort to trim it down, it might have felt like the the, the point of it might have been missed, or the epicness that runs as a through line from the novel to the stage play to the film might have been missed. So I think the length was fine, even though it was a bit of a slog. But yeah, some of the songs do go on. And it really... I feel like this, it really labors the the point of the the grimness and the poverty of the of the period and the time, which is which is all well and good because that's the message. But when you see it on screen, especially the scenes with um, Anne Hathaway where she's being knocked around and all the the kind of prostitutes and uh, stuff around there, it was really quite foul, really in a way that mm. the stage play wasn't, in my memory.
0: Yeah. Um... And thankfully, like I don't feel as though this adaptation dwells too much on that side of things. Um, Anne Hathaway's part of the film is 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 very brief, um, as as in the stage play, and I think she she pulls in a, a great performance herself um, with a really emotional take. And I know a lot of people hate Anne Hathaway at the moment. Yeah, and I don't really know why. But she's great in this film.
1: No, I used to, I used to err on the side of hating her, but recently I've realised that it's just kind of not really founded in anything, and it's she's seen as this kind of um, perhaps slightly insipid actor who's portrayed a lot of you know fluffy feminine roles or been in a lot of bad romantic films, and that's kind of our thing. So you know, on this podcast, we we should be huge fans of her. But um, I listened recently, I can't remember, somebody recommended it to me, um, saying that, you know, Anne Hathaway is actually really good and she's very misunderstood. Um, they recommended to me her interview on WTF with Mark Maron, and I listened to it yesterday, actually, um, and it was really, really good. Um, and it's very, very revealing about her alcoholism, which I didn't know about, and other things about her life that were just really, really fascinating. And she came across as genuinely a very charming and nice and interesting person and not the person that you think she is.
0: Yeah, because I think she's—I um, actually really like her as an actress in general. Like, I know she's been in some in some like romantic movies that people don't necessarily like, and then like like teen movies like the Princess Diaries that kind of were her big um, her big break. Um, but at the same time, she's been in like some really misunderstood movies like Love and Other Drugs, which I think I've mentioned on this podcast. Yeah, is before. that a is um, really...
1: Judd Apatow film?
0: Um, I don't think it's Judd Apatow, um, but it's got Jake of that Hall and Anne Hathaway. Um, a guy called Edward Zwick, um, who um, who I think he's he's mainly known for his production work more than his direction. Cool, um, but he he's sort of directed a fair few movies over the years. Um, but it's yeah, it's a really um, it's a really nice heartfelt movie and it's got this very real feel to it in terms of their relationship, apart from the end, which kind of goes into like romantic cliche territory. Um, but um, yeah, so she's been in movies like that. She's in Brokeback Mountain. Mm. Um, she puts in a really good performance as Catwoman in the Dark Knight Rises.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then sort of like, she's in, um, yeah, she's in some interesting films over the years. Um and so yeah, I think she's I don't I've never really understood the hate for her, particularly given that this was like her her big, sort of like dramatic, well known role. Um and she absolutely nails it.
1: Yeah, she does. I thought her vocal was perhaps a little raspy in parts, if you'll permit me to be Simon Cowell. But knowing that it was um it was done all done live like that, I assumed it would have been overdubbed. So that's that's fair enough and that the, the rawness of it now in retrospect I see that as a as a positive quality whereas at the time I was a bit like oh come on get on with it. <laughs> but, um <laughs> there's also that song I feel like has been a bit because of the the Susan Boyle effect that song has been a bit divorced from the show and has become a kind of big popular ballad in its own right. Um and I I'd completely forgotten how early in the the story it comes actually. I assumed um, having heard it so many times out of context that it's a sort of three quarters of the way through climactic song, but actually it's it's only about half an hour in of two and a half hours, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's very early on in the film.
1: It's only like um, the second or heard, third song.
0: You've only seen Russell Crowe twice, only heard him bellowing the once. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and, and I think like, you're you right that her her performance is flawed. There are these flaws in her take of that, but I think that really works in the film's favor. Um, Lame is this this adaptation of Lame is it shouldn't have been perfect, and I think if every every performance had been perfect in in it, it wouldn't have the same emotional impact that it does. Yeah, um, I don't think any is, of them are it, perfect, kind of really. Like... I mean, no, Hugh, Hugh Jackman
1: no. is very good. I I didn't expect much from him either because. I'll admit that I don't know much of him work of his work, but in my head he's Wolverine in a bunch of dumb superhero movies I'm never gonna see. And that kind of taints <laughs> it for me a little bit. But I was I was you know, impressed by should... his performance and it made me think I should go and seek out some more of his non-superhero work.
0: You you should really watch the X-Men movies um that he's been in. Um they're they're very weird. Um, because they they were the the ones that were directed by Brian Singer, um, they were all sort of like before Marvel um took over the, the the superhero movie scene, and so like they were sort of like following up. So you had like Blade that came out, which is a great movie. Everybody loves Blade. If you don't love Blade, yeah. stop listening
1: to this podcast. Um, can I just out. stop you there? I've got to run away for two seconds. I've just remembered I left Claire's dinner cooking in the oven. Just got to go and take Ooh. it out. One sec. Okay. Two minutes. All right.
0: Okay, okay. Whilst Paddy does that, I'm going to continue uh, stalling for time um, with a a little song for you. Uh, it's just going to be a little a little waiting song. Uh, so it's just going to be like a. Paddy <singing> is getting your dinner, and then he'll be back in a sec. And in the meantime, here's Rob. He's singing you. He's gonna run out of steam quite soon, but Paddy will be back, and we'll continue the chat in the moo So don't you turn off that da 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 da
2: da 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 da
0: Hello, I've left a little treat for our listeners. I
1: never do that, um, obviously, yeah. I'll, <laughs> we'll definitely keep in that long pause. Um, but it, yeah, she's, It wasn't she's a late, pause, just so to let you know. I would cook dinner to leave out, and I don't usually do that. I forgot it was in there, but it's still good. It's not burnt.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good to hear.
1: Yeah, sorry, X-Men, go on.
0: Yes, so, yeah, the, um, the, the Bryan Singer X-Men movies, um, they kind of followed on the footsteps of... Um, sort of the films that helped reinvigorate superhero movies like um, like Blade, basically. And they're all a bit odd. So all of the Marvel movies kind of feel almost exactly the same, with the exception of Guardians of the Galaxy. They're all kind of like, they, they're very... Which I still haven't seen. Which you should definitely see. Um, they're all quite formulaic. Um, the only one that kind of hits different notes is the second Captain America movie. But then, like, out of nowhere, these X-Men movies that he's been making, he's been making them for a fair while, and they're suddenly getting weirder and weirder, um, with, like, stupid like, time travel plots and things like that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so so the latest one, um, all of the, all of the young X-Men, they break into this facility to find out what's going on, and, um, they accidentally let Wolverine out, and because of the time of where it is in this timeline overall, um, wolverine's currently having horrible experiments done on him by the by the american government and so naked wolverine breaks out kills a load of guards and runs off into the snow and that's the only bit you see of him in this entire movie and it adds literally nothing to the plot whatsoever um and it's just over in a heartbeat and it's the kind of thing that you'd never get in most superhero movies so so Hmm. they are they're, they're quite odd films and they're quite interesting to watch and you never quite know what you're going to get from them um which i i definitely think is a highlight and it's quite nice to see Hugh Jackman in those in those kind of roles um so even when he's doing like stupid superhero movies at least they're not the stupidest of superhero movies
1: yeah that sounds a lot more interesting than i i give them credit for for some reason i don't know in my head all superhero movies are just kind of apart from ones like Guardians of the Galaxy maybe where they look they they star people that i like more um they just seem to me like the same as Transformers Dark of the Moon or whatever, You know, <laughs> <laughs> Um they just need to actually go and properly watch them sometime. Although no disrespect to Transformers because they obviously I don't know if that one stars my favorite guy Shia LaBeouf, but um, I
0: think Dark of the Moon does. Yeah, those films are a fucking shite. Yep. Um the, the Transformers movies have no redeeming features apart from if you want to hate yourself for two hours and get very confused and possibly get motion sickness from the terrible
1: direction. Sounds um, like that's... classic LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> Have you and, seen... and then he
0: got replaced by Marky Mark in the latest ones. Oh, God.
1: Have you seen that um, Shia has is played, playing John McEnroe in this new film of Bjorn Borg versus John McEnroe? Like oh a tennis God. biopic. I mean, I don't even really like tennis, but I'm really intrigued by that as a as a concept.
0: I I'm not, I'm not sure I could watch that. Um, yeah. Given given how <laughs> unlike John McEnroe
1: he is, he cannot be serious.
0: Who plays? Who plays Bjorn Borg?
1: I think a relatively unknown Swede who looks just like him. So I'm told.
0: Oh, okay. Cool. Okay. Well, maybe maybe I'll watch it at some point. At the moment, I'm okay avoiding that.
1: What I'm hoping is that it's um it's actually a, a like an alternative history and it's like a a, a romantic film where Bjorg and McEnroe get together and get it on in the in the back room at Wimbledon and then we can shoehorn it into this podcast.
0: <laughs> Broke that mountain, bit <but> the tennis. <laughs> I'm totally
1: game for that. Actually, let's do it. That sounds great. You could get Anne Hathaway if they, if, to reprise her role. If they don't
0: make, if they don't make it, then we should. I yeah,
1: think. <laughs> that's that'll be our follow-up to Sensations, and it'll be like, yeah. can they live up to the to the hype?
0: Can we? Can can the tagline of the movie just be "Hairy Ball Loving"?
1: <laughs> no, I think I think that's the title quality. of the movie. <laughs>
0: An apostrophe instead yeah. of a G at the end of loving. <laughs> Hairy ball loving. From the
1: makers of Sensations comes the smash hit, or should it be the grand slam of the summer? <laughs> Hairy ball loving.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: but but then oh. like all of the rest of the quotes about it should be relating to other sports instead of tennis. So like this movie really hits you for six. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a hack of emotion. Home runs. <laughs> 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 yeah, that that'd be that'd be quite good actually. As as guys who well, you you know lots about football. I know lots about baseball. Neither of us really knows much about tennis. So in a way, that would be good. It'd be like yeah, see, you know, just seeing what we come up with.
0: Yeah, I think that would be really good. It reminds me of. Um... Did you ever watch the Mitchell and Webb look?
1: Uh yeah, here and there. Again, as like the majority of sketch shows, incredibly hit and miss. Some really hilarious stuff and some absolutely awful stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like in general I liked that show, but there was a few bits in it that were total duds, but there's there's two bits of it that I'll always remember. One is um oh uh, what was his name? Sir Digby Chicken Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is really funny um and then uh, there was the the script writers the tv writers um yeah. who wrote about a variety of subjects without actually knowing anything about them um and they were like and and their sort of like reason for this was oh well you know we wanted to make it accessible to to your normal people and there's this great sketch where they're like they're writing this this show about people working in a hospital and like the doctors are going around and um and sort of like they're discussing this patient is like, but don't you know he's really poorly? He's got a dicky tummy. I don't know how long he'll last, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So we we could we could do a sports uh, a sports biopic, yeah, like that.
1: Definitely, I'm really so up like for Bjorn that.
0: Like Bjorn Borg, he's thrown the ball up in the air and he's hit it with his racket.
1: <laughs> oh, and it's good. It's done a bounce.
0: It is bounced. It's bounced just the once.
1: That's how we know he's a real ball boy. and also maybe i can finally find out what a juice is because i know that means something in tennis but it also means a poop
0: i i do know what juice is um i i i watch i watch wimbledon yeah um but that's about it but over the years i've sort of gleaned a fair amount of information about um tennis so i have a little bit of knowledge but i'll refrain from using it whilst we're writing this yeah
1: you need to forget everything you know yeah that's that's the rule
0: yeah i need i need to i need to forget
1: similar to Um, how with sensations before we start properly writing the script i mean obviously most of it's kind of written itself already through how much we've talked about it but before we properly write the script we're gonna take a break from podcasting and go to and spend a week with with guy fieri in his cooking boot camp and before we go and do that we're going to forget everything we know about cooking
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a prerequisite, isn't it? It's like before you take this class, you need to forget everything you know about cooking.
1: uh speaking of, of Guy Fieri, MJ has tweeted us if you go on our Twitter feed you will see the Guy Fieri bathing suit that has emerged as a real thing for ladies. For sophisticated ladies. It's it's a, a swimsuit that has Guy Fieri's face. Oddly and quite grotesquely stretched over the entire body, chest area.
0: <laughs> it's it's a thing of beauty.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah, not saying get... it's the best swimsuit I've ever seen. But...
0: Can can I get some Guy Fieri Speedos? Yes, I, I, I haven't looked, but if I could, I mean, I, if they're available, I totally get them. So I think they're missing out on a trick here if they're not available.
1: Would you have his his face on the the front crotch area? And then, you know, how, how he sometimes wears his glasses on the back of his head, you'd have just like the frosted tips and the glasses on the bum area, maybe so yeah, that like that, that sounds... where, where the nose would be lines up with where one's anus would be.
0: <laughs> that sounds perfect. That sounds absolutely perfect. Um, yep. I was thinking that you have one on the front and then one on each cheek, just of Guy Fieri's face. <laughs> so, um,
1: a big guy and then two little guys. Yeah, triple Fieri triple threat <laughs> or would they call it the triple crown because his his oh, hair kind of looks like a crown
0: it does he's he's the king of my heart and that is his crown
1: yep yeah, mine too <laughs> speaking of kings in Les Miserables they, there's a revolution and they're trying to overthrow the king but they fail
0: they do yeah well done guys yeah I mean like rubbish
1: you have one job
0: yeah, <laughs> all you had to do was overthrow a government. How how difficult can it be? How hard
1: could, how hard could it be? Yeah, but yeah, well, the, I found it very interesting. that Obviously, you think of it when you go as a, as a kind of go-to. You think you go, "Oh, Les Misérables." Yeah, it's, it's about the French Revolution. It was like, well, it's not really. It just happens to be set in a particular period of um, France's tumultuous, long, lengthy revolutionary period. You know, after one king had been overthrown, but then they had another king. And there's only really one kind of battle, really, that relates to that. It's actually, it's not really about that at all. It's about kindness and cruelty. And that is the backdrop, as is, I think, as well, the romantic plot. So really, it's a bit cheeky of us to be talking about it as a romance because I didn't really find it that romantic at all. I found there was a romance there between Eddie Redmayne and Amanda Seyfried, but that plot didn't emerge until an hour and a half in. Um, at which point, you know, you're much more invested in the, the the sort of romance between Jean Valjean and Javert, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, the, the reason I wanted to include this is that it's seen as one of those sort of archetypal women's movies, um, even though it's not. Yeah. And it's not like a, and, it, and so like, it, I just thought it'd be quite interesting to talk about, given that it's like, when people think of Les Mis, they think, oh yeah, that's that musical what my girlfriend wants to go see. It's Big boys about, don't,
1: like, don't musical.
0: Yeah. And, and so I thought it would be quite good to talk about it from that respect.
1: Yeah. Um, what do you think is the manliest musical? The manliest musical is
0: obviously Cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, I suppose you'd have... You, you have all those sort of subversive musicals, um, like The Producers, um, Book of Mormon... Avenue Q, that kind of stuff. Like for your av- you're... your
1: average idiot bloke who thinks that Lame is, is is lady shit. Like, what musical would he go and see? You'd have to make. Okay. Hey, I've got another I'm idea for Vin- a production Vin- week. Vin- do Vinnie jo- it, Vinnie like, Jones the musical?
2: musical. What?
0: Vinny Jones the musical.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, a, f- a football musical starring Vinny jo- Vinny Jones, and it's all um it's all made of football chants. So the only songs have to have to, it has to have been a football chant at some point in history
0: come and have a sing if you think you're man enough <laughs> <laughs>
1: that would be the um oh, that would be the advert wouldn't it on tv yeah. come and have a sing if you think you're man enough oh, that would be great
0: yeah i don't know about musicals that your average Bloke would be all like, Oh yeah, mate, I went to go see this, it was well good. Um
1: yeah. but I we're not your you. average bloke, oh yeah.
0: No, no, we're 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 vastly inferior to your <laughs> average bloke.
1: <laughs> but no, on, on that basis, yeah, it's definitely good to have um to have included it as a film. But yeah, the romantic plot was definitely secondary. And to, and yeah, the romance of kindness in and do you think John Right.
0: The The romance is between Cosette and Marius. But then you've got Eponine. Yes. Who is the unsung wonder of this film and of the plot. Who's like a proper dude. She's great. And like, she's totally friend zoned by Marius. And I feel okay saying friend zoned (laughs) when it's the other way around. I think if it were a man who was friend zoned, it would be all of that creepy subtext of the fact that he's a massive massive sexist creeper um but like so she she Eponine like clearly loves marius and like is pining for him and tries to help him however she can and like marius takes one look at kazette from a distance and is like i love her she's amazing
2: yeah
1: um, and that, that part of it, obviously, if it was a non-musical like a regular film, you'd think that that part of it totally stinks because he does literally immediately see her and kind of falls in love in an incredibly cartoonish manner, and Eponine's like, "What the fuck, mate? I've been here forever," and like, yeah, that that bit did the the suddenness of his desire for her did really make me chuckle, but it did then make the tragedy of Eponine all the more apparent, I think because you really got a lot of a sense of her character and you don't get much of Cosette until much later on, other than that she's this kind of ridiculous painted object. And then, yeah, so you, you really believe in Eponine's character. And then, I, yeah, I was very, very sad when um, there was the three-way song between all of them. And yeah, she's um, he's singing about how much he loves Cosette and then she's kind of interjecting with the lines in the middle. That part of it was masterful. I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, that was great. Um, and it is it is very sad because like they like Cosette and Eponine have both had difficult lives, but at least Cazette got taken away from like the absolute hellhole slums of Paris, whereas Eponine has had to sort of thrive in that environment and has sort of made a good name for herself, regardless. Um, and her character seems much more vibrant and interesting and nuanced than than Cazette Cosette is kind of a wet blanket at least at the beginning yeah um which is yeah which is a which is a shame and then yeah i mean i I don't think it should be a spoiler alert to say that characters die because hey guess what it's lame is everybody dies (laughs) if you didn't get that about lame is where have you been you've been under a rock
1: it's actually about Um, death isn't it
0: yeah yeah everybody dies
1: in this movie kindness and death cruelty and death
0: if if you don't die in this film you're a loser um (laughs) And uh, and yeah, and so so when Eponine does die, she 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 takes a bullet for the man she loves. She she uh, she catches a grenade for him, yeah, as it were. Um, and yeah, it's very sad. It's um yeah, it made it made me feel a bit emotional. It's like oh no.
1: Yeah, me too. That I think was the the most emotional moment, more so than any of the other songs, and also because that song was more melodic. A lot of the um, big soliloquy emotional ones actually I found a bit flat because they didn't have huge melodic hooks. And I don't know if some of that actually is to do with it having been originally written in French, um, whereas the, the kind of the musicality of the French language perhaps manages to elevate those the slight flatness of the melody more in those kind of songs, I don't know. But that song had killer melodies and it was good.
0: Yeah, it's it's um, it's great. It's a real it's a real standout part of the movie. Um, but
1: the do you hear the people sing melody? I love and I catch myself singing it all the time. It's it's really stirring, <laughs> and I was really really glad that that was the ending melody as well. Yeah, when um, yeah. Hugh Jackman has finally died, even though he appears to have been forty five years old for the last forty years, he um he's dead at the end and then they're all like singing in heaven. That's that's good. It's a powerful ending.
0: It is good. Um it's yeah, it's really it's really good. Um it's a shame you have to see the little kid again. What's his name?
1: Oh, um Gaston <laughs> something like that.
0: <laughs> the the inex- Gavroche, 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 the inexplicably cockney French kid.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that did make me chuckle as well.
0: Um yeah, um so, so speaking of Eponine uh, Played by Samantha Barks Who was Eponine on stage Before the film right? Um, and I think it kind of shows But she puts in a really good And like film, film and theatre Are an incredibly different art forms But I think she puts in a really good performance
2: Yeah I thought both, she was great If you
0: know what I mean um, Yeah I think she's great in this film um, I don't know what she's Gone on to do since But I hope she's been successful
1: no, I um, feel like I recognised the name from something else, but I couldn't tell you what. Maybe from something more teen-oriented. That's as much as I got.
0: Um, yeah, she's, she's probably my favourite performer in this movie. Yeah. Um, I think she adds a lot to the role. Um, she also apparently had the weirdest vocal exercise on set. Um, she would meow in different pitches and frequencies. So said Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway. Hmm. But it clearly, it clearly worked. I think it may be something we need to try before we, before we play next.
1: I could, I could see that. <laughs> I wonder what um, Russell Crowe's warming up exercises would be. Is he just does <laughs> a run in, run to the other side of the set and just go, <laughs> howling into the void. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he just he's just um primal screaming around the set. Yeah. And just punching people.
1: Or right, he gets up he gets up on the roof and then he jumps down and he does a Wilhelm scream.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my name is Russell Crowe. Do not forget my name.
1: <laughs> that uh a lot of the because basically 98% of every line of all the lines are sung. There are parts where, again, I think because of the unmusicality of the English language versus the French where it does just get a little bit tedious in the front and you think, oh, he could have just said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, But I remember feeling that with the stage play as well thinking that um, having every line sung was a bit overwhelming so I like to have a little bit of dialogue mixed in there usually. Although I think with Hamilton it's pretty similar and that works on a much better level but I think that's because it's hip-hop. I guess that's kind of easier to get away with more rhythmic. Yeah, William Shatner-esque yeah, so. talking. As I feel like Russell Crowe was definitely very close to the William Shatner line at a number of a number of points.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's some definite Shatnerisms going on right here. Um so so we've talked about we've talked about Russell Crowe at length, we've talked about Hugh Jackman, we've talked about Anne Hathaway, we've talked a little bit about, about Marius and Cazette but there's not really much to say about them. And like the bits of the film that do focus on them kind of fizzle out quite quickly. So after, after they've escaped and everybody else is dead, um, you kind of don't really care that much. Do you about their, their romance?
1: No, not really. You're like, I just want to see what Hugh Jackman's going to do. Where did he go? What's going on? Oh, exactly. Suddenly, Sasha Baron Cohen and Helena Bonham Carter are there again. Just when you thought you'd gotten rid of them.
0: (laughs) But but don't you think that their their rendition of Master of the House is really good? It is like good. Over, overall, they're they're they are scumbag irritating characters. But those are the they're they're supposed to be scumbag irritating characters. And their and their little centerpiece song is very well done.
1: Yeah, um, it's really really good. I enjoyed Sasha Baron Cohen's performance more than Helena Bonham Carter's because she's playing the same thing she plays in every bloody film. But and <laughs> I don't like her very much because she's a Tory. And she's said some very Tory things in interviews. How very dare she? Yeah, I know. But um, but I also feel like she plays the same. She plays like really to type in a lot of films. There's a few things like The King's Speech where she does more naturalistic acting. Was it The King's Speech? Yeah. Um. Where yeah. she she does more naturalistic acting, acting and she is very good. But I think of her as being part of the the Tim Burton Johnny Depp. Look at me I'm so quirky and weird circle jerk that I've never really understood um fully yes yeah, so, because
0: she, yeah. she was because um, obviously she was married to to the chap for a very long time
1: Tim Burton um yes
0: to Tim Burton um who's Tim Burton's a director that I like um, but who I think ran out of steam a while ago um so like you look at you look at some of his earlier movies in particular and he's done some really great stuff um so you look at like edward scissorhands is a really wonderful sort of like satirical projection of suburban life and things like that alongside the very really nice gothic overtones of the movie and he done Um, the batman
1: one that has bat dance in it right it
0: does that has bat dance in it
1: yeah or is that a different batman
0: no, that was the the one with the bat dance. That was the '60s one. No, um,
1: no the song he, by Prince.
0: Oh, the song by Prince. I thought you meant the literal bat dance that, uh, no. that Adam West does.
1: <laughs> no, um, um, the, yeah, the song yeah. by Prince.
0: Yeah, he did. He did the original Batman movie, and um, the, well, the 1989 Batman movie, and then he did Batman Returns, um, which yeah, is a cool like film. It's really ridiculously gothic and overstylized. It's wonderful.
1: See, I like superhero um, films from the 80s and 90s. It's just that any superhero film probably post-2000 is Transformers <laughs> to me.
0: <laughs> and a lot of them do feel that way. They, they kind of feel like better versions of Transformers. Um, yeah. But yeah, like Tim, Tim Burton, he's done some great movies. You know, he did um, Beetlejuice, obviously, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Edward, uh, Mars Attacks, um, Sleepy Hollow he did as well. Yeah. Um, which i think is like maybe his best movie and the most ridiculously tim burton movie ever yeah but it also and plays well with things... sort of gothic
1: and horror tropes that one i think yeah, that's that's yeah. A, a more um, funny and intelligent one
0: but then but then after that things kind of started sliding a little bit so big fish is quite a good film which i think a lot of people underrate
1: i didn't hate um, that
0: but then he sort of he started doing things like like charlie and the chocolate factory um sweeney todd alice in wonderlands um which are all kind of like feel a little bit like someone ripping off tim burton <laughs> as weird as it sounds yeah he, um, well
1: he became him in a similar way to his favorite guy johnny depp he became a parody of himself
0: yeah yeah and i think that's part of the big problem um and uh, and yeah, so he released this movie the other year, which I I I haven't seen, but I'm very interested in because it seems like a very non-Tim Burton movie. Um, he he did a a, a biopic of um Margaret Keane, um who's hmm. a painter.
1: Oh yeah, I did um, think that looked interesting.
0: And yeah, I've never I've I've not seen it. It seems like a very non-Tim Burton movie to make, hmm. and so yeah, I really want to watch that. Um, but yeah, overall, I kind of like he. He's not the draw that he would have been a few years ago. Like if I if I was like a, if I was a Gen Xer for instance, and I saw that a Tim Burton movie was coming out, I'd be all over it.
1: Yeah. But like
0: I'm not necessarily as keen. And like Helena Bonham Carter's work, I think is at her. She's at her best when she's not in a movie directed by him.
1: Yeah. Although I have to say that her portrayal of Bellatrix Lestrange annoys me. It's it's a bit over the top and kind of a bit screechy. And as a, an avid fan of the Harry Potter books, it's too much. It's
0: too much. Well, she she wasn't acting; she was just letting out her Tory tendency.
1: <laughs> this is true. That's what that's what Tories are like at the Conservative Party conference when yeah, yeah which is coming up. You've got Labour this week, <laughs> and then I think it's the Tories next week. I don't know. I, I despair of all of politics because we're somehow still leaving the European Union, even though it's obviously going to ruin the whole world. But. Yeah, that's. I would not be surprised if that's exactly what the the party conference is like. It's just lots of people in a room going like that,
0: just just shouting crucio at each other. Yeah. Um, my my favorite thing at the moment is um, is Brexit lovers who are turning around and saying, "Oh, well, it's going to damage the EU more than it damages us." It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's <not> the point.
1: <laughs> as if it's like as if it's like a football match. It's like, yeah, we st- yeah. we still win.
0: Yeah, it's like no, it's not about winning or losing. Everybody's going to lose. <laughs> it's ridiculous, um, and yeah, it's it's yeah, it drives me absolutely insane that It's just yeah, oh,
2: yeah, dear. like that's um,
1: that's the level of discourse that our politics has been reduced to. It's the kind of us against the EU football match that genuinely is the the highest level of political discourse, and it makes me fucking despair. Honestly, yeah, c- I'd cause- rather live in revolutionary France. <laughs>
0: there's there's two metaphors that are used for brexit there's there's the football match and there's the poker game mm. and and it's like oh yeah well we shouldn't be showing our negotiations before we actually like you know go to the table with the year it's like that's not how it's going to work yeah <laughs> you not you're not gonna you're not gonna trump them with your cards you idiots this is no, I also i out see them sometimes
1: <laughs> saying that um oh well we don't people come out with projections saying that, oh, it's going to damage the economy, this, that, and whatever, based on, you know, very, very intelligent people who know lots about the economy and are able to forecast things and have put a lot into it. And the reply is, oh, well, you can't prove that because it's in the future, so we should still do it anyway. And it's like, well, you can't prove that it's not going to ruin everything. Like, the log- the logic of it is similar to flat earthers, actually, who um who say, you know... Well, you can't prove that the Earth is round, you know. What? Try expanding your horizons. What about this, that, and whatever? There's no concrete proof. It's like, well, oh, just Jesus! I like, just despair at people. <laughs> <laughs> while well, while we're on the subject, though, should we just have a have a flat Earth diversion and talk about rapper Bob? Yes, please. Apparently, yes. has has a history of this. Isn't the first time he's been in the news over flat Earth. But um, oh, really? yeah. Apparently, it has been a couple of years since he declared his belief in the flat Earth theory, and he's previously been in a Twitter spat with Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> over it.
0: <laughs> you mean you mean Captain Killjoy, Neil deGrasse
1: Tyson? <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> Captain Killjoy, Mister Science Ruiner. <laughs> <laughs> but um okay
0: the the man who the man who you'll turn around and you'll be like oh wow i really enjoyed um i really enjoyed the eclipse the other day and he's like ha eclipses have an all the time loser
1: (laughs) neil degrasse nasa conspiracy (laughs) (laughs) anyway it was on bbc news today um bbc so it's tuesday so it'll be a few days ago when you hear it but um News, BBC Trending. Rapper B.O.B. raising funds to check if Earth is flat. <laughs> Which is a great headline. And there's a spoiler. The Earth is not flat. This is on the BBC <laughs> News. Um, the rapper, whose real name is Bobby Ray Simmons Jr., has been a vocal proponent of flat Earth theory. The claim that the Earth is, in fact, a disk and not spherical. Some proponents of the... <laughs> this- this, is, this line is gold Some proponents of the flat earth theory claim NASA employees guard the edge of the world To prevent people falling off <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's trying to raise $200,000 Now, I don't know But that doesn't actually seem like enough money To launch a rocket, does it?
0: Well, I mean If North Korea can do it Pretty much anyone can
1: This is, uh, yeah, this is true This is true Worried about those guys. They seem angry.
0: They they do. It's it's good that we've got so many like considerate, thoughtful world leaders to try and <laughs> calm down the situation yeah. there.
1: Okay, um, I'm on. I'm now on um, Bob's crowdfunding page. It's on GoFundMe. It's a show Bob the curve. Oh no, he's raised his goal to a million dollars. He's yeah, raised, raised it now. Okay, one thousand nine hundred forty-six dollars. Raised by fifty-eight people in five days.
0: That's not a lot if you're a, a rapper. Do we? <laughs> who has the weight of? <laughs> has the weight of the flat Earth theorists behind you? Yeah,
1: he should sell some of his bling.
0: He should. Yeah.
1: Uh, the comments are pretty good. A lot of the people. It's, it's like this. That's, this is an incredibly. This is the most measured comment I've ever seen on the internet. It says, "I know the Earth is round, but I'm willing to donate for educational purposes."
0: Not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> yeah. oh, bless that person. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Why not just travel to the edge of the Earth? It would be a lot cheaper.
0: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh,
2: um,
1: but that that's the thing about flat Earth theory that always astounds me. It's like if... Um, if the Earth is flat and as they believe there's like an ice... Antarctica is actually an ice wall that goes all the way around... Why has no one just flown a plane over to the edge and just taken a picture of it? Like you could do that so easily, but the answer is always something to do with like an, a NASA guard conspiracy or something, and then you just get deep into like real mad shit.
0: Well, Paddy, if if um if that is the end of the world, where's that plane gonna go? As soon as it hits that bit, it's just gonna fall indefinitely. <laughs> Because yeah. they're no longer over the flat.
1: Because um, gravity is a myth, so yeah. I assume that that means that planes can only stay above, a, like a, a, a landmass. So once you go off the landmass, it just drops.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So it's too, it's too dangerous.
0: It's like it's like you know when you're photoshopping something and you have a weird glitch and everything just like stretches indefinitely. Yeah, that's what happens yeah. when um, when you fly beyond the Earth.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, go and donate lots of money to BOB's GoFundMe page because I would like to see him genuinely try and get a rocket out there to prove that the earth is flat because that would be amazing. He he needs your money. It's a very important cause.
0: Yeah, you need to you need to get on this. This is possibly the most important scientific endeavor in the history of mankind.
1: Yeah. It's a it's an anthropological curiosity. <laughs> Much like Les Miserables. <laughs> Much
0: like Les Miserables. Who do you think is the flat earther of this movie?
1: Oh, good good question. Do we reckon Javert? Is he, is he maybe a flat earth guy? He's very zealous. He seems like the kind of guy who would believe something very obstinately, at least, so you know if he did believe in it, he'd believe in it wholeheartedly.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. But at the same time, I think there's a core of understanding to him. Which is not there in Flat Earthers. So I reckon it this might be there, there might be a sneaky, a sneaky flat earther. Um, in this movie. Um, so who knows, maybe it's maybe it's Marius.
1: Maybe, maybe. It's Marius Pont Mercy, is that his name? Well, I did French GCSE, so I can tell you that Pont is French for flat, and Mercy is French for world. So, I mean, that that pretty much proves it. I honestly hadn't put two and two together, but now that I have, it's definitely him.
0: You also missed off that Marius means um, theory. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> yeah. French is just such a strange and beautiful language, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah. It's... Um... It's yeah. I think yeah, he he's gotta be the he's gotta be the flat earther of this film. I don't know you know, Cosette, she doesn't know what she's let herself into. No. It's gonna be like up until three AM watching like terrible YouTube videos made by pseudo scientists.
1: Yeah. People yelling at Neil deGrasse Tyson on Twitter. That's <laughs> that's the future that, that he wants. Oh dear. So where where do you stand on Sasha Baron Cohen in general?
0: I I mmm I have time for him. I think he can he can be very, very funny. Um I still think Borat is a funny movie. Um and I think it's one of those unfortunate things, much like many of his characters, where the like buzz lines and like the the like obviously silly bits have outlived the actual satire of the character. Um so like Borat is sort of seen as this stupid caricature of, of, the, um, of Eastern Europe um, but in fact what he was trying to do with it was sort of like show up the sensibilities of other people through yeah. that character and the movie does it incredibly well as it did on the Ali G's show.
1: Yeah it's like um, the scene when he's with all the, the racist Americans and he starts getting them to sing Throw the Dew Down the Well and they all join in. That's an incredibly powerful piece of cinema. Yeah, um, <laughs>
0: Exactly. Because the, you know. the
1: joke is on them because they're, they're joining in it's like this is how racist people are that they won't, they will join in with this random guy singing a racist song rather than stand up to him and it's the, it, that's the kind of the point of it Really, that often I think, gets missed when people divorce it from the context.
0: Yeah, and and unfortunately, a lot of his characters have that. So Ali G himself, the um, kind of was a was a big parody and a big use of subversive satirical comedy, but again, just became like buzzwords and and um, and like catchphrases and stuff like that yeah. instead of what he was necessarily trying to create. Um, and so I think there's been diminishing returns over the years um, on on his own characters. Um, unfortunately, I think, yeah, a lot of it does come down to the fact that people don't really get it um, and kind of latch on to the like, haha, he wore a funny bathing suit and he said something that was silly. Yeah, that's what's really funny. But, yeah, um, I agree.
1: I think he, he walks the satire line. He loves to walk on that tightrope. Um, And sometimes he falls down on the wrong side of it. I think some of his later work, like perhaps Bruno, I think a lot of that was on the wrong side of the line. And similarly, I haven't seen many of his most recent films, but apparently the last few have been a bit dreadful. So you had Grimsby and The Dictator and a few before that. I haven't seen any of them, but Ali G is just absolute gold. And because he always did, he always did it where it was like a setup as if it was real. Um, that that the satirical element of that was really groundbreaking at the time, and I just remember it kind of like being a thing that I wasn't allowed to watch because it was it was too offensive, and everyone at the school was talking about it. it like, oh, have you seen Ali G? Oh no, no, don't watch. It. Um, and then later, because we're watching a bunch of it later on, and just absolutely falling about laughing, and little clips pop up every now and then because there's one of him where he interviewed Donald Trump about a business idea, and there's one where he interviewed Jacob Rees-Mogg and stuff. It's just yeah, he's just such a really great character. So I think um he's a he's a genuine genius satirist, Sasha Baron Cohen. But he's been very, very successful and I don't think there's any way that you can keep up that level of nuance with the level of pop cultural fame that has been afforded him. But it was really, really nice to see him actually just acting for once and not doing one of his things.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because I, I I completely agree with you. I think like how far can you keep going as the counterculture when you become the culture? And I think that's kind of the problem that that Sasha and Cohen's fallen into. Um, yeah, I think there there were some parts of Bruno that did kind of work. There's a very funny bit where he gets together to try and try and uh, bring peace between Israel and Palestine. Um, that kind of really worked as well as some of the best bits of Borat but overall that movie kind of like fell apart um but I did I did watch the Brothers Grimsby and overall it was pretty damn stupid but in a very funny way yeah um yeah there's some really ridiculous gross out humor in it which is so over the top that it stops becoming like grotesque and just goes back around to being funny again um and overall it has that kind of stupid spy parody um that that just kind of rings very true at the moment um in a in a movie world full of really ridiculous gritty movies um so that was actually quite good oh, um cool. but uh yeah it's it, it is nice to see him just acting in the in the brothers grimsby he's he's acting again i don't think he was very involved in that apart from from an acting sense um right. but it's really nice to see him in this film um, in Miz Miz just as a character and he does a really nice job of it as well he's really good in those kind of comedic roles yeah because that's um, the one role that like... is
1: supposed to be very overdone and very affected and to provide it basically provides the comic relief for the whole show which you don't necessarily need but it does make the rest of it the grimness of the rest of it actually a little bit more palatable and I think he does that really really well on screen like he knows how to play up to it for the camera um, so I think that was a really genius bit of casting actually.
0: Yeah. He's great. He is an unexpected success. I think he, he's really, he's really something else in this film. Um, and, and he's got, you know, he's got a little man. bit of singing chops. His, his sideburns.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: he, uh, he can sing, man. He, he was, he was, um, slated to play Freddie Mercury and a really big biopic, um, and I think he could have pulled it off, but there were creative differences between him and the studio, and it's been canned or it's in development hell or something. And I was actually really excited about the idea of that because, yeah, know, he could, now um... he looks like him as well. He could pull off the look. I'm pretty sure he could pull off the vocal and the acting, and I think it would have been really good.
0: Because now it's um, Rami Malek, isn't it? Who's gonna be gonna be Freddie Mercury in the biopic? Yeah. yeah. Um they they shared the first image of him as Freddie Mercury and he he looks pretty damn good.
1: Cool. Well, I'll I'll reserve judgment. It it was for me it was either Sasha Baron Cohen or Shia LaBeouf, so
0: <laughs> Russell Crowe surely after his incredible <laughs> performance in this film.
1: Yeah. I want to through! <laughs> That's...
0: Bush, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen, very good. Is there anyone else we we've missed? I think we've covered it, haven't we?
0: Yeah, I think in terms of the, the standout performance in this movie, we, we've we've covered everybody.
1: Yeah. Um and yeah, so overall I'd say pretty good. Definitely go and yeah. see it. It's very it's long, bit of a slog. I think if you don't like musicals, you won't find it easy to watch. Um, because as well, unlike a lot of other musicals, say your average Lloyd Webber, there, there aren't loads of really, really big musical numbers that would work out of context. Um, or the kind of big showstopper opening and ending and that kind of thing. Or um, a lot of the songs are quite samey and flat. It's more about recurring melodies and themes and stuff. So if you're expecting a big sort of bombastic, huge sing-along, you might also be dis- disappointed. But it's it's epic. It's really, really epic and romantic. And the performances are good and very engaging. And it gets across the grimness of the period and the themes of kindness and cruelty. Those become very, very apparent. And that side of it is very well done. So yeah, I'd say I'd say definitely go and watch it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think like this movie isn't for everybody. Um, If you like Les Mis, go and see it. If you like musicals, go and see it. If you like Russell Crowe, go and see it. Oh, yeah. If you don't like Russell Crowe, go and see it. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: In fact, however you feel about Russell Crowe, there's something in this film for you.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I think if you're you're ambivalent to Russell Crowe, you might not enjoy this movie.
1: I think if Um, if you're ambivalent about Russell Crowe, it'll tip you either way.
0: It's true, yeah. If if you if you want to find out how you feel about Russell Crowe, this is the film to watch. If you really like, you know what, before I die, before the nuclear apocalypse destroys me, I need to know whether I like or dislike Russell Crowe. Watching this movie will decide that for you.
1: I've got to work it out. It's something that's been eating me up for a long time. I've got to work out how I feel yeah. about Russell Crowe.
0: Yeah, and and this is the movie that will decide that for you. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's not a film for everybody. Um, and it's not a movie that you could sit down and watch at any time. I think you need to be in a very specific mood to really get the most out of it. But when yeah. you're in that mood, it definitely packs a punch.
1: Yeah, you have to be in the mood for watching something epic and powerful, and not something throwaway. Because I think you also do have to pay attention. There were times when a bit of action happened, and I'd have to go back and be like, "What? What actually just happened then?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were they yeah. were singing it to each other, and I and I missed it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where may- maybe that's why the revolution failed was that they kept singing stuff at each other instead of actually fighting a revolution and planning a revolution.
1: Yeah, or instead of getting in a room and talking out their differences, they were singing, singing at each other and dueling. Yeah, what well, a bunch of babies!
2: You're a baby.
1: <laughs> You're a baby, Russell Crowe.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, so so I've got some little some little um, trivia. To
1: share, oh, yeah. The trivia, we need a jingle um, for this or something, don't we?
0: We do, we do. We need we need we need a trivia section. Um, little jingle. Um, so, uh, the, sat, the set for Diego and Alley from Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was remodeled and used for the barricade scene.
1: Interesting, is that is that the same set that is in the Leavesden Studios' the Harry Potter experience?
0: I have no idea. because if it is, I've walked
1: it. around it. I've petted the stuffed owls. You know,
0: did Russell Crowe turn up and start singing that?
1: <laughs> yeah, he was in a cage pretending to be Hedwig.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Why wasn't uh, Russell Crowe in Harry Potter? Well, cause he of, could have been. All the actors were somebody. British, weren't they?
0: He could have been Mad Eye Moody.
1: <laughs> he, he would have been great as Mad Eye Moody. Yeah. Oh, I'm now genuinely disappointed that they, did, they didn't cast him.
0: He he would Constant have been great. Vigilance. Or he could have been Harry Potter, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's got a young face.
0: Just imagine him kicking the shit out of Draco Malfoy. <laughs> With a little you know, scar should, on his face. They
1: should do an all-Australian cast remake of Harry Potter. Yes. Russell Crowe as Harry Potter.
0: Hugh Jackman as Ron.
1: Oh, he's Australian as well. Perfect. Yeah. Who else is Australian? I mean, you Nicole, inevitably Nicole end up a cast of Neighbors. Yeah, Nicole Kidman as Draco Malfoy,
0: Kylie Minogue as uh, Hagrid,
1: <laughs> Danny Minogue as Dumbledore. Yes, it'd be yeah. great. Uh,
0: this would be amazing. Harry Potter Aussie edition.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: <laughs> okay. Right. Ne- next bit of trivia. Um. People who went for the role of Cosette, we had Emma Watson, Oh. Um, which was I thought was quite interesting. Mm, um, I'm yeah. glad she didn't get it because I'm not really sure about her singing ability.
1: Well, um, also someone who I think is unfairly derided in a similar way to Anne Hathaway, who is, has not proved herself as much as Anne Hathaway, but I've seen her in a few things where she's been better than you'd think. Did you see the recent Beauty and the Beast, actually?
0: Yeah, I did not like her in that at all.
1: Yeah, because her performance I liked, was perhaps I liked, a little bit insincere. But I thought her singing was fine; it was passable. I,
0: I did not. I thought she was the real weak link singing-wise. Are you? Are you um, a Watson hater? I'm not a Watson hater. I, I, I don't really hate many actors and actresses. I'm always like, there's no one that I'd really see was in a film and be like, oh, you know what? I don't want to watch that because they're in it. Yeah, um, but. I thought she was she was mediocre in the Harry Potter films. Like, I didn't think any of the kids were very good. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry to all the Harry Potter fans out there, but
1: like, well, they were kids, weren't they? Yeah. Just, you know, and, they, and I don't think any of them gradually improves over uh, the course of the films as they grow up and learn more.
0: And I don't think they necessarily learn to be as good as they perhaps hoped they would of, either. Um so no. at the end of the movies you're expect like you'd perhaps want like a real powerful performance in those last two films and I don't think you really got it from any of them. Um which is, you know, that's fine. It's a gamble that they took on casting kids and then leading them through seven movies, eight movies, which I think is, you know, that's a phenomenal yeah. task in itself. Um but I've not seen her in anything where I've been really particularly impressed um the same with any of the kids from the movies actually i don't think i've seen any of them where i've been like oh wow that's a phenomenal performance and beauty and the base didn't do anything to sway me either way on her i didn't think she was great in it i thought dan stevens was really good as beast yeah
1: yeah he's great um, him the guy who died and then came back to life on downton abbey <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've not watched Downton Abbey um, <laughs> It was a hilarious bit really...
1: his, his character is literally dead and then the next episode somehow he's alive or something like that and it was really stupid
0: That's brilliant, I love it when they do that um, He's yeah. in this really good film called The Guest um, which is a really sort of funny kind of like cheeky take on the kind of trashy 80s action thriller movies you used to get
2: hmm.
0: where um this guy comes to offer his condolences to uh, this family whose son uh, died in the war and um, uh, died in combat. And he was like, Oh, I served with him um, and I'm here to pay my respects to you and everything like that. And sort of like he becomes kind of like this cool older brother mentor figure to the two kids in the family. <clears throat> but it turns out that not everything's as it seemed. And he's actually kind of like a crazy psycho killer. Who's been through a load of military experiments and that kind of stuff, and he puts in this really charismatic but terrifying performance that, like, eighties actors such as Rutger Hauer would be proud of. And oh, that wow. was like my first—that was like my first sort of like time I'd come across him as an actor. And he's really great in that film. And I thought, yeah, again, he was really good in Beauty and the Beast. And I hope it spurs him on to do like other interesting movies in the
1: future. That sounds really good. And obviously, the, the Rutger Hauer reference is is quite the compliment.
0: It is, yeah. From me, I love a bit of, of Rutger,
1: yeah. Um, so you had Emma, Emma Watson. Movies. Who else?
0: Um, and then uh, that that was the only person I really wanted to bring up for for Kazette. But then lots of people went for Eponine. Oh. So we had Hayden Panettiere. Oh wow! Scarlett Johansson, Leah mm. Michelle, um, Emily Browning, and Evan Rachel Wood. Wow!
2: Um, any, it was any even of them, rumored that
0: Taylor would Swift would job. have offered the role. Yeah, I really like Emily Browning as an actress. I think she's great. Um, and I kind of wish she was in more stuff. Um, she's in the the um, American Gods TV series at the minute, which I All thought right. was great. Um, and and she's been in like Legend, the uh, Tom Hardy movie about uh, the craze and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think she would have been an interesting choice as well. Um, and apparently she can sing very well in real life, so that would have been another... Another bonus, but obviously Samantha Barks was great in the role, so you know I think they made the right call there.
1: Yeah. And did you say sorry? If I interrupted you. That it was offered to Taylor Swift.
0: Rumoured that it was offered to Taylor Swift. Um.
1: That she took so, it off.
0: So <laughs> I can only imagine that after she got shot, she would have turned to Marius and been like, "Look what you made me do! Look what <laughs> you
1: made me do! That song sucks." It's I really hate awful, to say it, it, but her new music is awful, and I'm really disappointed in it.
0: Yeah, it's I didn't very like her old.
1: After the last couple of albums were very, very good, and I didn't like her old stuff.
0: I liked things. "Shake It Off," um, and um, what was the one about Starbucks lovers? Everyone miss her. Oh, lyrics. "Blank Space." "Blank Space" is yeah, a great
1: you, song. You done a cover of that? Is it? Still I did. On YouTube? Yeah,
0: possibly still on YouTube. I'm not sure. Um, But I really love that song Um, But then yeah, this this new song is is not good I'm sorry Taylor
1: Yeah, sorry Taylor Um, Get out Get out
0: out. (laughs) It's the end of you and me Yeah,
1: I would have been interested to see her in a a major film role like that I wonder if she will Do that eventually Maybe after this next album, Tanks She'll have to do something like that to redeem herself
0: Maybe You know, Harry Styles is in Dunkirk, right?
1: Yeah does he and have a big pup?
0: No, it's like a kind of minor thing But he's actually really good So much so that you kind of forget that it's him hmm. um, And then I think I, did I talk about it on the last episode About Harry Styles and his amazing cover version
1: of Yeah, I put it of, in the show with notes Mac?
0: Yeah, it's, it's like, very good. What, What's happened to you Harry Styles? You've become like super cool
2: Yeah,
1: he's alright We've I'm, got time for the styler the
0: stylist. Can we get him into sensation somewhere?
1: Yes he seems like he could be a contestant in the eating contest, but one who yeah f- falls in one of the early rounds.
0: Yeah, I think that would be cool.
1: But you know that there's someone who's going to be all right because cooking wasn't their talent, but hey, they've probably got loads of other talents.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, he he fails, but then, like, he does an amazing black, uh, backflip somersault off the stage and like, oh, wow, okay, this guy's got something about him.
1: He's a gymnast.
0: Yeah. And then it, he can be doing gymnastics.
1: Um yeah. at the end when um smash biscuits come on he can just do a bunch of backing gymnastics.
0: Yes, exactly. I think that would that would go down a treat. Um yeah. so the only other um the only other little bit of trivia was I was gonna say about another choice of casting. Um people who were considered for uh, Fernandier, um Rowan Atkinson, I, I Billy can see Crystal that. Ricky Gervais. Billy
1: no way. Yeah.
0: Um Steve Martin and Robin Williams. Wow. At one point considered.
1: Okay, Steve role. Martin or Robin Williams I could see.
0: I think if Ricky Gervais had been in this movie it would have just I dunno, fallen apart yeah. immediately.
1: He is a bloated fool. I think the the first um <laughs> the original The Office was really good. But um, and I remember when it was first on, just being kind of just old enough to appreciate comedy like that, and where it really plays with awkwardness and the kind of how real and raw it was. Extras I thought was okay, and then he just started to get really famous and started to become a real loudmouth and be a dick on Twitter and stuff. And I, yeah, he's he is a bloated fool.
0: See, I um, I I kind of like the original Office. I think the American version is much better, and I think it perfected that kind of comedy much better. Um, and if you're looking for that kind of awkward British comedy, just go watch the Thick of It. Come on, oh, yeah, vastly superior, vastly more interesting. Like, right? just go and watch that. If you want, if you want a show where nobody's a good character, go and watch the Thick of It because everyone's that much more interesting and it's that much funnier, and the villains are that much more like dragons. Yeah. And has given so, me possibly that.
1: my favourite insult of all time, which is, you're a fucking waste of skin. <laughs> um, Malcolm Tucker on, on the phone. I think it's just devoid of any context. Just cuts to him and he's, got, he's on the phone going, you're a fucking waste of skin. Skin, yeah, skin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, very good show. Yeah, I'm glad Ricky Gervais didn't get it, as so I'm sure... Yeah. Also I think him, any of those people with Helena Bonham Carter would have been quite a weird combo but Sasha Baron Cohen I think has a, had a good chemistry with her.
0: Yeah, they both have that kind of like com- like comic sensibility, almost like a sort of animated character brought into the real world that works in their favor.
1: Yeah, it's cartoonish.
0: Yeah, and I think that works really well. Um so the next film that the director of Les Mis is doing is a movie adaptation of
1: Cats. Oh, interesting. What's the name of the director?
0: Uh, Tom Hooper, who's the guy who did, did The King's Speech.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah, I, I, I went to go and see Cats when I was very young, and I don't remember very much about it, apart from a bunch of people dressed in leotards, like, running around yeah, and being very confused and, not really th- and thinking, like... What what's this got to do with Cats?
1: And thinking uh, how really manly understand. it was, obviously.
0: And, you know, obviously that's what turned me into the red-blooded male that I am today. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, so I'm intrigued to see that because I have I have no idea what what Cats is about. I've not watched it again since I was a little kid. So yeah, same,
1: same here. I also went to see Cats when I was young. I think it might have been one of the first musicals I ever went to. And um, I remember thinking it was quite strange, but good and very captivating. But it's based on a book of poems by lovable old racist T. S. Eliot, so yes, yeah, um, yeah. As um, source material goes, it's not doesn't have that epic feel, so you're going to have to try a lot harder to make that into a coherent film. So good luck to him. I will be very interested to see that when it rolls. I want around. to see
0: Russell Crowe dressed in a leotard being Mister. Mistopheles, Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope it's all the same the same cast.
0: Yeah, or just entirely Russell Crowe. I'd also be be fine with that.
1: Yeah, Russell Crowe plays all the all the cats.
0: <laughs> that can be the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> um so so in terms of other lame stuff, there was an adaptation made back in 1998 um with Liam Neeson, Jeffrey Rush, Uma Thurman.
2: A
1: film.
0: Um yeah, a film really? adaptation, which i I've not seen.
1: I thought this was the only film adaptation.
0: No, so this is based on the original novel, not on the musical. Right. Um. And Claire Danes is Cosette.
1: Oh, like it's says a film, Claire not Danes. a musical. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's just a it's a ah, film okay. adaptation of the original novel by Victor Hugo, as opposed to um, adaptation of the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical.
1: Um, oh, Interesting. I did not know that existed.
0: So Liam Neeson is Jean Valjean, for instance. Yeah, he's Um, Valjean-ish. And Geoffrey Rush is Javert. Um, Uma Thurman is Fantine.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And I have no idea how how good it is, but it does have a rating of 7.5 on IMDb. It's all right. So could be all right. Might be worth watching. Cool.
1: How are we going to rate this then? What's our scale going to be?
0: Mm, that's a difficult one. Yeah. Um how many times did you forget Vagair's name? Vahuna. Javert's name even.
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't forget my name, it's Vajair. <laughs> that sounds like a kind of bean.
0: It's because there's that there was that meme going around uh don't forget my name and then uh, it's a it's a little photo of an of an IKEA thing where it's Vagere instead of Javert.
1: <laughs> um let's see i i forgot Javert's name I'm gonna say 15 times out of oh, 20
0: 15 times yeah, yeah. i would do I, once again we will be in agreement all oh, right 15 wow times out of 20
1: we're really we're really aligning um we are this time yeah. around we need to we're we need in... to watch something that's going to divide us
0: <laughs> well it's funny you should say that because we are we're going to be going into something a little bit different aren't we next yeah we're
1: on to our October month um October month of horror next yes which is good although I I was thinking about this today forget I forgot for a moment that we were doing that and then I, I thought of something that we could watch um and I got really excited about it and then I remembered that we were doing something else um do you want me to tell you what it is or should I save it
0: Tell me what it is. Just make sure that that's the next movie that we watch once yeah. we're done with After
1: October, um, it's R. Kelly's trapped in the closet. <laughs> yes. Have you ever watched all of it?
0: I don't know if I've watched all of it because I think when I watched all of it, he hadn't finished it all yet. Yeah, because so, he finished
1: it over quite uh, a few years. But I think it does yeah. add up to ninety minutes if you watch them all, and I think they're all on YouTube. So yeah, I remembered about that. Um. You know, you you forget for a while that trapped in the closet exists, and then when you remember it, it's 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 quite a nice thing.
0: <laughs> it's true. So it was released up until twenty twelve, from the looks of it. Thirty three chapters. Yep. God, I I think I I maybe watched like twenty.
1: Oh yeah, you only got two thirds of the way there. Well, I think yeah. I've only seen the first couple, so I know all the the classic lines. Not only is there a man in the, in the closet, but the man is a midget. A midget. Yeah. A midget. Midget, midget. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's what we'll be doing after October. But first, it's a month of horror. So what's it the is first a month of horror. horror-ish romantic film that we're going to watch?
0: So I think um, to ease us into, into the month of horror, let's, let's choose a, a, a relatively nice horror movie. And, and let's choose David Cronenberg's The Fly, about a man who turns into a horrible fly monster.
1: Yeah, which I have not seen, but I'm fully aware of because of the Simpsons' Treehouse of Horror parody.
0: Yes, although I think the Treehouse of Horror parody is more based on the 1950s movie. Oh, interesting. So it's,
1: Cronenberg's one was adapted from an earlier film?
0: Yes, which was adapted from a pulp uh, story. Oh, nice. Um,
1: yeah, so all, all uh, good source material.
0: Yes, um, but yeah, the, the 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 David Cronenberg version is um, is the best example of this story being told, and it is at its core a movie about two people's romance. Excellent. Um, so it does tie in. <laughs> before anyone complains, Oi, this is a movie about romance. You shut up. We make the rules here.
1: Yeah, we do. If we decide we want to, we want to talk about the fly, then. We're going to talk about the fly, but no, all of the films that we're going to watch do have have a romantic plot involved in them, and yeah, it'll. Be, I think it's a good idea for us to to discuss things maybe in a more constrained way, talk about how genres affect romance, that sort of thing. If you want to get highfalutin, because I know you'll listen to this podcast for the the high level of intellectual chat, so doing this will will enable that.
0: Yeah, there, there's two reasons why people listen to this podcast. One is the incredibly in depth. Uh, film analysis, and two is the Flat Earth News. <laughs> yeah, um, obviously. We're so... <laughs> the,
1: num- the number one source of Flat Earth News on audio. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: um, but before we go, um, horror fans who are excited about about our next movie, um, just an update. I went to go and see It uh, the other day.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it's good. And people should go watch it. If you haven't already,
1: I I hear it is good.
0: Yeah, it's, number it's one, funny and scary. Um, kids are great. It's yeah, it's all, all around round all round a good one. So go and watch that. But make sure you watch uh, the Fly from
1: 1986.
0: Yep. Um. Uh. And get ready for some spooky but lovely listening.
1: Spooky but lovely. That's all I've ever yes. wanted to be. <laughs> All right, if you um, if you want to tell us that the earth is round or any other such untruths, you can tweet us at bigboysdontpod or email us at bigboysdontcrypodcast at gmail.com. We do read every tweet and every email, so, you know, be sure to get in touch. Send us any, any Guy Fieri-related merch that you find, such as the bathing suit. That was a great find, you know. Anything at all. we love to hear from you.
0: Yes, yeah. Please send, send on whatever you feel is appropriate. Um, what did you think of Russell Crowe? Uh, do you love Russell Crowe as much as I do? Do you dislike Russell Crowe? If so, why do you dislike Russell Crowe? Is it because of his angry face? Is it because of his voice? Is it because of his gaudy blue jacket? Let us know in the comments.
1: What is a Russell Crowe?
0: <laughs> is a Russell Crowe a type of bird?
1: A rustling crow.
0: Rustling crow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we really need to to find that out. So please get in touch and let us know what is a rustle crow.
2: I didn't (laughs) mean for that to rhyme.
0: Please do. All
1: right. We'll see you next week when we will talk about the fly.
0: All righty. Bye-bye. Bye.